0: begin a new series of lessons on the New Testament church. And I'll be giving handouts on uh, throughout. And uh, it's going to kind of be a freight train where we stop and come back the next week and hook back up. And so when you get this handout... Uh, Don't throw it away in between Sundays because we may need to go back to it. One of the rules of studying the Bible is that when you find a new word introduced that you've not come across before, it's really important to study that word from the first context in which it was given because it, kind of, it, sets the, it sets the stage for its meaning uh, throughout uh, the Bible. And so those first mentions are very important, and we find mentioned for the very first time the word church in chapter 16 of Matthew, and verse 18, in Matthew 16 and 18, The Lord had asked the questions to some of His disciples, who they said, "Say that I am." There in verse 15 of Matthew 16. But whom say ye that I am? He said, who do, "Who do the people say I am?" And they said, "Some say you're John the Baptist come back from the dead, and Elijah, and Jeremiah, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets has come back." And He said to them, "But whom do you say that I am?" And Peter Uh, being the first to speak, said, answered and said, Thou art the Christ, which is the anointed one, prophets and priests and kings were all anointed in their culture, the Son of the living God, deity. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee it unto thee, but my Father which is is in heaven, and so the Spirit of God brings about conversion, understanding, salvation. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The first use of the word church, I will build my church. It's obvious in saying uh, my church that th- that's contrasted to uh, to others. This is mine, contrasted to yours or or theirs. And it's obvious also that this word church, I'll well, build my church. That this word church was a common word. It was understood. It was it was. Uh, part of the vocabulary of that present day. And so he's going to distinguish distinguish it from the other churches. And uh, and that he promises it something uh, very powerful in that he says uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're well, not going into great detail. Uh, this, this verse has been twisted in many ways, but you see he calls him Simon Barjona. That was his name, uh, but he had a nickname which was called, uh, in our. if it had been in our day, his nickname would be Rocky or He's the Rock. And in the, in the original language, It was a word uh, in the Greek, uh, Petros. And so when you call somebody Peter, it was saying uh, he's he's rocky. And a number of people have that nickname, Rocky, today. And so he said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. And this word rock is much is, uh, similar, but it has a great distinction in that it's not petro, Petros, but it's Petra or Petra, uh, and this means a massive rock. And so this idea that the Catholics have that the church is built upon Peter is, is erroneous. The church is built upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ, and and when he uses that word, um, ecclesia, or we're going to look at it a little further later on. But the Lord said, "I'm going to uh, build my church," and we find uh, we find that coming about when. In Luke chapter six and verse twelve and and Mark chapter three and verse thirteen, let's go over there. Jesus is beginning his ministry. These disciples are coming to Jesus. They hear John the Baptist say, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. They've put their faith and trust in the Lord for salvation from sin and for their lives. And in, Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. And he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And so we find the Lord... Selecting from his followers twelve men who we know as the twelve apostles, twelve disciples. Now, if you go over the first Corinthians chapter twelve, it gives us some clue about this time period and what's taking place here in Mark chapter three, when he says in First Corinthians twelve and verse twenty-eight, and God has set some in the church, first apostles. I think that could apply both to uh, time and importance. First apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, government, diversities of tongues. Well. If nothing else, we can see that these 12 were members of the church. The Lord said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Another verse, before we get into that handout, if you look at the second use of the word church in the New Testament, is in Matthew chapter 18, And verse 18. Well, in verse 15, he says, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault and try to get it settled. And if he won't hear them, hear hear you, then take two or three witnesses in verse 16. And if they won't, he won't listen to what, those two godly men that went with him say, if they neglect to hear them, in verse 17, tell it unto the church, the assembly. And it's implied that the brother here that he's talking about would be a member of that assembly. But if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. And so we find that this assembly is much more than... uh, Boy Scout meeting—it's much more than just uh, getting together. It's something that has some power to it, some weight to it, some authority uh, to it. And uh, this uh, this church is is uh, something that the Lord's hand is upon. Uh, when we look at the, if you just want to look at the word church. It, it, it's uh, some put EC, some put EK e- Ecclesia Oh, let me just spell Ecclesia Ecclesia and really it's a it's a, ma- a matter of two forms of word, ek goes with exit ek the ek part out, ecclesia uh, means to call. So, in this basic form, it means to call out. But uh, in its usage, you see this more than just calling out, hey, or the Lord talking to his people's hearts and calling them to himself and salvation. But it, but in the usage, you can see that it's to called out to assemble, and and it's, it's even though it's a first century word, it's a word that's not alien to us, because because if uh, if there's announcement on the radio or in the newspaper, uh, the North Pole assembly is meeting tonight. The town assembly. There would there be people who would come out of their homes and assemble there, and we know that the North Pole assembly would have some some requirements to to uh, speak up there to to, to be a part, uh, because you'd have to be a member of the uh, a citizen of the city of North Pole, and and uh, to to say something that wasn't. Uh, given by permission of the assembly or to, to, to uh, come from plaque Road and go over to North Pole and say, hey, I think you should do this and this and this. They say, are you, are you a citizen of the town? Are you in the city limits? And I say, no, but they plow your roads over there. Why don't they come, you know, do mine better and because you're not part of the city. It's not in the city. Well, that word ecclesia has that connotation, too, that there's some restrictions for membership. There's some qualifications for membership, and so those are important. But we live in a day when the concept—and we'll look at this further—the concept of a church has been so convoluted that this idea that there's when you when you're born again you become a member of the church, you're part of the great universal invisible body that. Salvation puts you into the church that has caused a, a great de-emphasis upon the local New Testament church, and and again, that's kind of a double, double unnecessary thing because you don't need to say local anymore you need to say you know my body is local. <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's just common sense that assembly would be uh, be. Local, and so uh, I lost track of where I was going. But uh, the the uh, oh, and so so people will say, well, you know, churches are just man-made, and I'm a member of the the church, the Universal Church, and great de-emphasis is put upon put upon the local New Testament church, and and. And actually, that's kind of a half-truth, because if you see, the Lutheran Church was started by a man in the 1500s. Presbyterian Church was started by Calvin in the 1500s. And so there are churches that are started by men, but but uh, uh, they're not really New Testament churches. And... And so, what I'm simply saying is, is that a great de emphasis, you know, I'm not going to join, go over there and join that because it's written by men and men are, you know, men are men. They make mistakes. Men can go against the, the will of God and the Word of God, even in leadership positions in the church. And so, kind of a, the, the non importance of attendance and support. And membership in a New Testament church is greatly de emphasized. But we have a very important verse in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, and verse 21. Let's go there. In Ephesians, chapter 3, and uh, verse 21. Unto him, that is Jesus Christ, be glory in the church by or through Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen. We have another powerful statement in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, which really summarizes the the child of God's purpose in life. What is our purpose? What, what am, you know what's my purpose in life? What should, I, what should I be doing? Well, in that verse, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, whether you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That our lives are to bring honor and glory to magnify. God and Jesus Christ, who is God. And so here he tells us that the New Testament church is a vital part of that. Biblical work, spiritual work, serving the Lord should be in the church. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. So in light of that, then there's a great responsibility and accountability on you that are saved to uh, be part of a church, but also to understand clearly what is a church. And what's my responsibilities within this church? That church being, being a part of the church, a church is uh, a serious business. It's a serious accountability. And, uh, and if we're to give glory to God, then uh, to be saved and not become a member of a New Testament church is uh, it's a great misfortune. That's not strong enough to your own life, but it's great disrespect for your savior. And so in light of that, we're going to just uh, study some about uh, the New Testament church. I don't want to begin in page one or two here, but let's go over to page four. Page four. What does the word church mean anyway? It's a transit, oh, I'm sorry, we're at the church, it's definition in the middle. What does the word church mean anyway? It's a translation of the Greek word ekklesia, and you can see that they use k's instead of c's, which appears 115 times in the text of the New Testament. And down below here in the real small print, where some of you have to get your glasses out, uh, it's, listed how, it's, it's given the reference to those 115 times. In addition to being translated as church, it could be rendered as an assembly or a congregation. In the New Testament, Ecclesia is translated as assembly uh, three times. And So let's go over to Acts chapter 19. In Acts Chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus where the worship of the Greek goddess Diana was a prominent religion and silversmiths in the town were making good money by selling images of Diana as tourists came through, as people would migrate there to go to the temple of Diana. And uh, he preached. A great uproar. There was, uh, there was a great cry out for. for a number of hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians, in verse 28. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And the town authority came, there in verse 31. There's a riot about to take place. And actually, the... uh, tried to get Paul out of it, rushed him with one accord into the theater, verse 29. And certain of the chiefs of Asia, in verse 31, which were with his friends, sent unto them, let's see, uh, I want verse 32. Some therefore cried one thing, and some another, for the assembly was confused. This word assembly is the exact same word as ecclesia. And then if we go down, exact same word is translated church. Then if you go down to verse 39 and it says, but if you require anything concerning other matters it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. And so we find this idea of requirements for the assembly like what he's talking about in North Pole. An Assembly. It is a uh, the word ecclesia or ecclesia and it's translated church in the New Testament and when he had thus spoken he dismissed the assembly what we can say about that is that it's local it was in Ephesus it was visible there were people there there was there, there was a a lawful assembly and an unlawful assembly. And that comes about by the context. And so uh, just to get the idea of this, that the word means an assembly, in fact, when William Tyndale, who was killed by the Catholics for translating the Bible into... English. When he came to this word, he did translate it congregation. And in fact, um, much of the Greek New Testament that uh, the King James came from was, from, was, was in uh, compliance with or equal, it was in agreement with Tyndale's translation. Our English Bible has the word congregation or the Greek translation of the Old Testament has ecclesia. And so in Deuteronomy 23 and and uh, Deuteronomy 31, there's a the, the, you have to understand that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And with the world changing, with Alexander the Great dominating the world and much of the world speaking and using the Koine Greek to communicate and to do business with that they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek and it's called the Septuagint there are some problems with the Septuagint but he's simply saying that that when they translated it from Hebrew into Greek Uh, They translated it Ecclesia. Outside of the Bible, the word Ecclesia was in common use for several hundred years before the Christian era and was used to refer to an assembly of persons constituted by well-defined membership. The Lord Jesus Christ called his congregation my church to distinguish it from other types of assembly or congregations. As we will see in greater detail as we proceed in this study, the Church of Christ is an assembly of baptized believers organized to carry out the Lord's work. Many people today use the word church in senses that are entirely absent from the Bible. Some, kind of, some call it the building where people meet for worship a church. And so uh, people will ask me, Where is your church located? And. Uh, I don't say, well, it's universal and (laughs) visible. I don't don't say, you know, well, we assemble, you know, and then we all spread out throughout the work week. But they want to know where the building's at. And and so that word church is used in in our language, in our nomenclature, but it's not used in the Bible. The word in the Bible always means an assembly, and it doesn't have to be in a building. It could be but it may not be, whether or not it meets in a church building. In the days of the apostles, there were few, if any, churches that had buildings specifically constructed for their assemblies. People also use the word church as referred to a denomination. They speak of the Methodist church, the Catholic church, or the Baptist church. However, an ecclesia is an assembly of people, not a denomination. There was no denomination in the first century. Anyway, uh, anyway they developed later. There were only independent churches. Many speak of the universal church, which although variously defined, often is said to consist of all believers in the whole world. And so, what you need to understand from, from uh, the very beginning here, is that we can't get away from the idea that the word "ecclesia," the word church has to do with an assembly. That's the basic meaning. And there's a great difference, there's a difference between being a member of an assembly and in the family of God. My, my, uh, my immediate family. If I just go back to my, to my, uh, my generation, I mean, I had. There's Humphreys in Oregon. There's Humphreys in Alaska. There's Humphreys in different portions of Alaska, and we are family. And so. The Humphrey family, it, it can be universal, it's all over the world. And the only way for it to be local is if we have a Humphrey reunion, and you're not going to get them all to come anyway because they don't all agree. <laughs> so, but when we talk about a church, it's an assembly. It can't, it, 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 and don't confuse family. We're. We're born into the family of God. And if I don't care if you're in an in a ecumenical church, if you're in even a Catholic church where you came to read the Bible for yourself and saw what it said and knew that you need to repent and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. That makes them a part of my family. We're family. But we're not in the same church. And Jesus said... Uh, I build my church. We can't choose our family. But Jesus said, I'm going to make my church. Great difference between family and church and the bold letters. However, in the Bible, the church or Ecclesia never refers to all believers in the whole world. You can look up all the references in the last footnote to see for yourself. The family of God is universal, invisible, an entity that consists of all believers everywhere, but a church is a particular, local, visible congregation. The metaphors for the church show that the idea of universal, invisible church is false. The church is Christ's body, his temple, and his bride. And so your body is local, a temple is local, and my bride better be local. Bodies are very local and visible. A bunch of flesh and bones scattered around the globe is not a body, a temple is one particular location available for everyone to see. Bricks scattered all over the place are not a building at all. And certainly every man on his wedding day rejoices with his bride is very local and visible, not invisible or cut into little pieces which are scattered all over the earth. Christ's church is not a building it's not a denomination, it's not something universal and invisible, it's a particular type of assembly which is that distinguished Christ, which is it, what is it that distinguishes Christ's assemblies from all other assemblies? Well, we're going to look at some marks of that in the next two lessons but let's go back to the first page or the second page as far as numbers, the church is important. Does it really matter if we faithfully worship and serve God as a member of his church? Scripture answers this question with a resounding yes. There are many reasons why we should view the church as exceedingly important. Okay. Seth, can you read uh, Ephesians 5:25? And Caleb, you'd be ready for Hebrews 10:25. Okay, so the part of that, last part of that verse says that Christ said, he's talking about how uh, a husband should love his wife. And he says, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Well, the argument flies up. It says, well, John 3.16 says he loves the world. Absolutely. And in fact, he makes mention here while Christ died for everyone in the world, Hebrews 2 9 and 1 John 2 2, he's perpetuating for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. He had his church in view in a special way. If our perfect example, Jesus Christ, loved his church enough to die for it, should we not also have this passionate, sacrificial love for it? And so, as Christ, as husbands are to love their wives, as Christ loved the church, uh, though I can care for and love all people of the world, I have a special love for my wife, and and he's he's giving us an understanding that uh, that our attitude about the local. Assembly that our attitude about the church that we're a member of is uh, Important It seemed like that uh, <clears throat> It seemed like one of the hardest things to get rid of in the flesh is uh, after we say we're to grow and in the Lord, to to become mature. But one of the th- one of the things is uh, that we have struggled with is a critical spirit, a judgmental spirit, uh, uh, a tendency to not see the growth in a person, or the blessings of the person, but we see the shortcomings. It's a part of our life, and uh, and we tend to forget uh, where we came from. And and uh, you know. As some pastor has said, maybe I've thought before. You know, it's, it's great being a member of a New Testament church. It's just the people that you have to be around. <laughs> uh, but Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for it. And he's implying here, uh, not only was he teaching a lesson concerning husband and wife's relationship, but he's given us a message about uh, your church, and I don't think that we uh, we grasp that often until sometimes we have a we can't be there for a while, and uh, and then you realize. What you're really missing, and there's something there that's supernatural, and so it's important. Well, Christ taught is important. Okay, Hebrews ten twenty-five, kid. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of sons, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, what's that next verse say? Okay. Um, In verse 24, the one right above it, and let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. And so, uh, the assembling, the word church, That we're going to assemble together and he is a command for us to assemble and uh, and i think sometimes we lose we lose the uh, purpose of that of course we come so we can be fed by the word of god but in this passage here when he says, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together, it's in, in the context to let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Do we often, do we ever think that the fact that when I miss church, it's not just, uh, you know, going against Hebrews 10 25, but it's being inconsiderate? And considerate of my fellow members. That for a person to miss church can actually be discouraging to other church members because you're to exhort one another. Just your presence being there could be, you don't even have to say anything. Maybe you just reach out and shaking hands and, and saying hello. It's a it's a it's an encouragement that church attendance matters. Not just because the Lord said, but for the reason the Lord said it. That we can exhort one another and provoke one another unto good works to keep on keeping on. How much encouragement do you get at Safeway on Tuesday and Monday and Thursday and Friday? How much encouragement do you you get on the job when you, you know, mess up something? How much spiritually do you grow when you punch the time clock? The church is needed. And he says that it's important. Thirdly, the church is a place where we can build up in the faith. Well, let me read a note below that. The fourth commandment uh, in in Exodus 20, 18 through 11 should encourage us to be faithful to worship in Israel. In Israel, every Saturday was set apart for the worship of God, and the secular work ceased. In the New Testament, churches assemble to worship on Sunday. Thirdly, the church is a place where we can build up in the faith under a God ordained leadership. The overseers are to feed the church of God spiritually. Acts twenty twenty eight, to feed the church of God over which I have made you the overseers. For watch for their soul. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, obey them and have rule over you and submit for they watch for your soul. God gave church elders. Let's look at Ephesians 4 and 11. This is an important verse to understand. In Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 11, and he, that is God, gave some apostles, the 12, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. We know from uh, Romans that there is a gift of teaching, but this here seems to be more pastor-teacher, that they go together, that every pastor should also be capable in teaching. Why? For the purpose that, for the perfecting of the saints. And that word perfecting carries the idea of not sinlessness, but of spiritual development, growth. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a mature man, a perfect maturity, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Now, what I want you to see here is it says that pastors and teachers are giving for the maturity of the saints, and then you need to understand for the work of the ministry and for edifying the body of Christ. Who does that apply to? Well, he gives us pastors for the perfecting of the saints. He matures the saints. I mean, he doesn't, but the scriptures do. Perfecting of the saints, maturing of the saints. So, The saints, the saints can do the work of the ministry. You see, the pastor, although he does the work of the ministry, the pastor's job is to perfect the saints so he can work himself out of some jobs. So they can do... For the edifying, edifying means to to edify means to build up. For, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, again um, the. for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come in unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perturber man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro, about by every wind of doctrine, by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. I think if you do a study on born again people who do not get involved in a local New Testament biblical scriptural church, that they're tossed to and fro. They latch onto this and they latch onto this and then they change here and they change there and uh, to and fro. How long, (laughs) Uh, I don't know why my mind's working this way, but it is. How long, if you were the foreman on a job, how long are you going to keep a worker on the job who is to and fro, to and fro, to and fro? They're useless. And God wants us to get into a church where we can grow. To be used of him. And we all have different capabilities. We don't all we don't all have the same job or the, but we we grow. And that every wind, every new thing that comes along, it doesn't, it doesn't blow us around. Every wind of doctrine. There's a grounding effect of being in a New Testament church. It's important. It's absolutely important to teach the whole council of God. There's many church- churches that are uh, very much evangelistic, but sometimes their uh, evangelism is corrupted. But but uh, I remember uh, when I was doing mission work, trying to help a, a veteran missionary in Virginia. And West Virginia, we were in uh, Virginia, and I was knocking doors, and these people, uh, these people were uh, members of a big prominent church in Winchester, Virginia, and uh, they were they were uh, bus captains. They they rode the bus, getting children to come to Sunday school, and so. I uh, asked him, Well, what do you believe about speaking in tongues? What's your church believe about speaking in tongues? They never had a clue. I asked him about other, you know, important doctrine. They never had a clue. But they knew how to put $5 bills underneath bus seats, and who, whatever child that got on the bus that sat on that seat got the $5 bill. They knew how to have towns jump out of airplanes in a, in a parachute and land down on their field for their vacation Bible school. But they didn't know doctrine. And so um, the church is important to ground us doctrinally. the bottom of page two. Do you want to make progress in holiness? Do you want to understand the faith and believe right doctrine? Do you want to grow more like Christ? Have him as your head and pass from spiritual maturity to spiritual adulthood? Then you need the church. Do you want to avoid being tossed to and fro by false teaching and false teachers? This protection is found from evil. This protection from evil is found in the church. God did not like to design us to grow as Christians on our own. God did not design us to grow as Christians on our own. In fact, removal from church membership is called being delivered unto Satan. It's not safe to be outside the church. It's not safe to be outside the church. Did you get that line? You guys are all looking like you're tired today, like you shoveled the roof off yesterday. When Seth came off that roof, I thought I was gonna to have to have a shot of adrenaline or something for him. <laughs> he was stumbling around, said, I need some water. <laughs> uh, Moustache was all frosted up. It's not safe to be outside the church our Lord's way is for us to learn his word and mature spiritually in the church of the living God which is the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the place of the Savior's spatial presence when the Lord speaks to the seven churches of Asia there in Revelation it makes it plain that he's walking in the midst of them. And so we live in a day when uh, to say that another church is wrong, what they're teaching is error, is to make us more of a more of a problem than they are, that we are so judgmental. They have the right to believe what they want to believe. Well, they can believe what they want to believe, but to promote error is heresy. The word to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And, and you see uh, you see, when it says earnestly to contend, to contend for the faith, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter uh, How sweet you try to contend, uh, for some you're contentious. Who are you to say that baptism is only by immersion? Who are you to say that? Methodist sprinkle, Lutheran sprinkle, Catholic sprinkle, Presbyterian sprinkle, These are all major denominations, and you think you're the one that's right. And you become contentious. And you can flip over there and show them the Bible, and they'll say, well, uh, that's what you believe. I had a Pentecostal lady preacher when I flipped over and said that women are keep silent in the church, that it would be the husbands of one's wife, she says, I don't care what the Bible says, I feel this. And that's when she fell off the bandwagon. Well, the Lord says we need to contend because these are not just minor issues. And I think you're going to find as you go through life that. Oh, I'm way over. Uh, that doctrine. Okay, save your save this. I might I might run lots of rabbit trails in this, but I think you're going to find this. The false doctrine always produces immorality. Listen to me. False doctrine produces immorality. It's important to contend for the faith. All right. Sorry, I went over. I might get pumped up in this for a while. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're dismissed.